Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me. We're back and we are live. Vertical Momentum Resiliency Podcast, VM Nation. Welcome back. This is going to be a great episode. This is going to be fun. If you ever wanted to be an author, ever thought about writing your own book or know somebody wants to be an author, you need to listen to this podcast. By the way, I want to thank our sponsors. Kurt Ballish of Ballish Woodworks does amazing work. Um, the cutting board that I got my wife for Mother's Day a couple years ago is the only uh, cutting board that she will use. So, Kurt, I love you. Uh, Tammy Moses, I can't say enough for, for Tammy Moses. The Hoarding Solution, she's changing lives one home at a time. So if you know anybody struggling with any, any hoarding solution, any hoarding issues, definitely check out Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. The young lady we have we're going to talk to today Truly amazing. We we just connected, and um, she had me on her show, and I'm going to be in her magazine in January. I'm so pumped and honored. CJ, what's going on? Nothing much. Uh, just, you know, living life, and I love the two individuals that you spoke about. I've, I've got my husband one of those cutting boards, and it's the only one he'll use as well. <laughs> They're fabulous. <laughs> and me and Tammy, um, she's... If I ever was able to have a sister, she would be the person, the sister I would have. We do a week, I do a, a room every week on every Friday on Clubhouse. We do a room together. So you might see us doing that. So, how was your weekend? What do you got? How would, what'd you do? You know, I went up, I just got back from Houston a couple of hours ago. I was in Houston this weekend um, with Pulse the Magazine. They were having Female Entrepreneur Awards. So I was up there. Um, getting an award for publisher of the year and networker of the year. Uh, it was a great quick trip, but I, I had a great time talking with some folks, met a lady who wants to tell her story. And I'm super excited because I love when uh, people tell their story like yourself as well, because what it does is it helps other people know that they're not alone. And that's the most important thing. So you're just like nonchalantly. Yeah. You know, I won publisher of the year and, and <laughs> marketer of the year. Uh, it's like, oh, I do that every Tuesday. Come on, grab <laughs> yourself. A bit. You know, it's really hard for me because what I do is find ways to lift other people up. Um, so for me, it's always about other people. I, I sat so a lot of people don't know that in 2019, I moved up to San Antonio, which is five hours away from my home, to take a job at a university. And I was by myself. My kids and my husband were here at home. And I was up and I had a little small studio apartment. I sat by myself, drove 40 minutes to work, 40 minutes home. And I sat there for a year by myself. And I would just come home for like a day on the weekends. But in that little apartment for a year, I sat there for for that year, just asking God, what is my purpose? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I had retired in 2017. I worked at a community college for two years and I sat there and I was like, I'm just so lost. Because after working two and a half years at that community college, I just didn't know what I was supposed to do. So in that year, I 
I was told my purpose for lack of better words. And I was told by, for, I don't want to say the man upstairs, but I mean, you know, cause I don't believe God is a man or a woman. I think that, uh, God is actually, uh, the source. <laughs> Uh, so I was told that my job is to lift other people up. So when it comes to bragging on myself, it, it's a little hard for me. I just like to see so many other people win and we're doing the awards again in February and we've got some fantastic people that are uh, going to get the awards, author of the year, uh, nonfiction book of the year and uh, book cover designer of the year in February through Pulse the Magazine and the Author Sports is sponsoring it. I love it. I love it. Um, so now, first, let's let's hop back in the in the way back machine. I want you to go back to where you first came from, uh, where you grew up, and what kind of little girl were you? Oh my goodness! I you know I was a goofy little redheaded freckle faced girl <laughs> growing up in the Midwest. I grew up half in Festus, Missouri, on a dirt gravel road, and half in Indianapolis, Indiana, in <laughs> Concrete City. So I went back and forth because my parents split when I was a year old, less than a year old, because my my dad and my stepmom joked that their first. Um, their first date was on my first birthday. <laughs> so uh, I went back and forth and my parents fought a lot. So there was a lot of, a lot of tumultuous things going on. And um, yeah, that dirt gravel road, I still drive on today to go see my dad and my stepmom. But yeah, now, it was a, go ahead. I grew up um, abuse household and my only escape was books. Uh, that was my, you know, I would, when my parents would argue, I would go into the bathtub, fill the bathtub halfway full where I couldn't hear anything, get underwater and, re and read an encyclopedia Britannica. So when they, when your parents were arguing at this point, what was your go-to mechanism, coping mechanism? So my parents didn't argue with each other. Uh, what they because they never saw each other. Uh, we were dropped off at my grandmother's house, and then one one parent would leave, and then the other parent would show up. Uh, they weren't allowed to be near each other because my mom would threaten everybody's life and stuff like that. So I mean, it was that. But what they would do was when I was at my dad's house, everyone would talk about my family in Indiana, and I would have to listen, and it just really tore me apart. And then we had some. Um, you know, there was some physical abuse and stuff. So when I was at my dad's house, we actually would go outside. There was a little pond behind our house and a creek. And we'd go out there and catch tadpoles and pretend we were fishing. And we played in the woods a lot. So I was by myself. Like my go-to, I didn't actually, sorry, my dogs just took off running and they have a lot of toys. But I didn't actually start getting into books until my teenage years because when I was small uh, I would just go get lost in the woods behind my dad's house because we lived in the country so the first 10 years of my life I was out in the country on this dirt gravel road in the woods and I would get lost and then at 10 years old we were given the option and we chose to go live with my mom in the city because she was out partying and drinking all the time and my grandma would let us do whatever we wanted 
So we chose to go up there and that's when I discovered books because you didn't have creeks and woods. So that's when I picked up books and Charlotte's webs and Beverly Cleary's Ramona books and all the other stuff really. Now we got a lot of people that are watching this. Mark Dudek, <laughs> Don Berard, Angelo Mercado. <laughs> Mark Dudek wants to know, was it a creek or a creek? You know, it depends on which day because I grew up half and half city and country. So it depends on which day it's going to be a creek or a creek, you know. <laughs> I'm Mark, Mark, I love you, brother. Make sure you share this everywhere because this is going to get fun and interesting. So were you a good student in, in high school and in, in grade school? Oh, God, no. I wish I was. Um, I wasn't a good student because I didn't apply myself. I was told by my mom and sister and, and God love them. Cause I love them to death. So I'm not talking bad about them, uh, but we didn't know how to talk to each other, but I was told I was stupid. So I believed it. You're a stupid, fat, ugly, redheaded, B I T C H. That's how everyone talked to everybody in the city, you know, and most everybody was drinking or on drugs. So that was just the lay of the land. So I believed it and I didn't apply myself and I slept through most of school. I don't remember most of my senior year. Um, I graduated with a 1.7 GPA and I just didn't care because, well, nobody I knew graduated high school. So what was the big deal? I was just going to figure life out by the fly seat of my pants and just go with it. So no, I, I wish I would have applied myself, but no, I didn't. <laughs> So you, you joined the military? You know, that was not my plan. It wasn't my plan. Um, I, I tell I'm looking back on my life and I think I accidentally fallen into all the greatest things that ever happened in my life. Um, and I, and I think that that was God's plan in all honesty. I, I think that it was his plan going, you know what, here, let me just throw you over here before you screw it up royally. <laughs> because I can remember when the Gulf War happened, uh, in the nineties. And I remember... Want yeah, I remember sitting in my front room. Um, I was a I was a loud mouth, uh, trash talking city kid who didn't know anything other than the square block that I grew up on. And I will be the first to admit that um, I wasn't worth the shoes that I wore back then, in all honesty. And when the Gulf War kicked off, I saw the soldiers and a lot of people got pride and wanted to join the military and all the other stuff. But what I said was, why would they put their lives on the line for half the people out here that would go and rob them in their houses, mm -hmm. could care less about them? I would never join the military. And that's what I said. I said, I would not join the military because half of all these people on these streets couldn't care less about them anyways. So why, why go fight for something that nobody cares about? That's what I said. Then fast forward to 1997, two years after I graduated high school, and I'm sitting on my, actually laying on my grandmother's couch. She's in her late 70s, and she's the only one working in the house. The rest of us are lazy bums, pieces of craps. And um, my ashtray is full because I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, Coke cans all over the place. And uh, I asked my grandma to empty my ashtray. So I'd quit getting ashes all over the floor. And my uncle was staying with us at the time because he was going through a divorce. And he says, why don't you get off your lazy behind and do it yourself? I said, hold on a minute. Aren't you living with your mom? Who do you have to talk? I'm only 19. I've got my whole life ahead of me. 
He said, the only thing you have ahead of you is to be, excuse my language. Do you mind if I say the word? No, this, this, no, okay. this is every, this is our house. I just want to make sure. He said, the only thing you have ahead of you is to be a crack whore, just like your sister. That was all it took because I knew in my heart that I wanted more. I was just lost. So I stood up and I got very close to his face, not too close because my uncle's wiry. <laughs> He's natural redhead like me. And I says, I, I've got more in me than you'll ever have. And I'm going to make something out of my life. You just wait. And I left that day and it was a couple weeks later and there was a flyer in the mail for the air force. I had no desire, but just something inside of me just I just felt like I had to try it and six months later I was gone nobody thought I would go um, my friends laughed at me they did the fake salute they was like yes sir yes yes ma'am ha 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 you're never gonna do it you're not gonna make it you can't even run up the stairs you're just you're lazy you're... here I am 20 something years later talking about it so yeah i made it <laughs> so now talk to us about the first time walking into a recruiter station you know um so my stepfather god rest his soul uh he was really the catalyst that that helped me stick stick with the decision to go he had his brother who was a prior army mp to go with me to make sure that the recruiter wasn't going to bullshit me because I had no idea I was going to sign whatever that recruiter wanted me. Cause if I had to get out of uh, Indianapolis, everybody was yelling and screaming and fighting and getting pregnant and hooked on drugs. And I said, I don't want to live like this. Like this can't be life. Like this can't be it. So I walked in there and we're listening to the recruiter and I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I wasn't really paying attention, honestly. I wasn't impressed. I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Uh, we left and my uncle Larry actually says, hell, I want to sign up. <laughs> he was, he was too old to sign up. Um, it honestly, I wasn't impressed until I got off the bus at Lackland Air Force Base at four o'clock in the morning in January, January 8th, 1997. And we were walking into the, that first in-processing building. That's when it finally hit me. Before all that, I was like, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, I'm getting out of here. I just thought it was, I was just leaving. No big deal. But when I got, when it was crisp and uh, everyone was yelling for us to get inside and sit down to in-process, I was like, oh, Jesus like now, oh. did you take to the military initially? You know, because I, me, I grew up having a wise mouth. You know, so I, I did a lot of push-ups. I got smoked a lot for my mouth. How did you do? <laughs> Mine wasn't my mouth. It was my eyes rolling, and I didn't even realize that I was rolling my eyes. So in the Air Force, they have the three forty ones, which is you get so many of them pulled, you could get recycled back and have to do extra time in basic training. Um, it was every single time an instructor was around. Ives three forty one. You sure do like those eyes rolling, don't you? I was like, Ooh. I, I mean, and I didn't know I was rolling my eyes. I thought I was looking straight ahead. I got in fights with the other girls in the dorms because they just thought that they could talk to you any way they wanted. And I was like, hold on a minute. Like, no, 
Like they wanted to go take showers for 30 minutes. They, they would go in there and then they would call out to everyone else when they could come in for their two minute showers. And I said, hold on a minute. You're not going to stand in here for the shower for 30 minutes while everyone's taking two minute showers. You need to buck up and do what everyone else is doing. So yeah, I had a really hard time. Um, and then I had a friend write me from jail to basic training why my parent, my mom or somebody gave him the address. I don't know. So yeah, it was, it was kind of rough. I don't think until about five years in that, um, I settled down with, uh, my mouth. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, how many years did you do total? 20 years, two months and 23 days. But who's counting, right? Uh, <laughs> so now, were you deployed anywhere at this time, in this time? Yeah. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan in 2000. It was January 4th, 2006. We were there for 202, either 202 or 222 days. I can't remember. Uh, that was my first deployment. Then I was in Kosovo, Kuwait, Oman, and Bulgaria. Is that five? Yeah. I was in five different locations. Yeah. So, okay, now you hit your 20-year mark. Um, what was your decision to, because, you know, everybody, when they get their 20-year letter, they can either decide to get out, stay in. What was your, what was your mindset? Uh, my mind was still 100% ready. My mind was there. I wanted to stay. Um, I, I grew up in the Air Force, you know. I mean, I was still a loudmouth brat <laughs> before the Air Force raised me, and I loved it. I loved everything about it, um, but it was time for me to go. My body was breaking down. I could no longer do every component of the physical fitness, and I had told myself that I didn't want to be a, cr a crusty master sergeant that all the kids looked at and was like, Oh, well, that old master sergeant can't do it. How are they going to lead me in a firefight? And I said, I got to go because this isn't what we're supposed to be teaching these young kids. You know, if if I'm supposed to go down range, I'm supposed to be the one in in the front. I'm not supposed to be, oh, you go do this, you go do that. So physically, I couldn't hold up my end of the bargain. So it was time for me to go. Now, were you married at this time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was another deciding fact because I could have worked with the doctors to try to find ways to rehabilitate uh, enough to do what I needed to do. But uh, we had we were in Germany and we made the decision. We had two and a half years left. and We made a decision that it was going to be my son's junior and senior year. And I wanted him to have two years at the same high school. So um we had nine months left in Germany and my husband and my son moved back to where we were going to be, um, what's it called? Retiring at, and they got the house ready. And my son came to high school here and me and my daughter PCS to our last duty station and stayed there for a year. So we had the last year and nine months that we were not together. It was me and my daughter and my husband and my son were in a separate location, just getting the, the foundation ready for retirement. Okay, now this is going to be a little bit personal, but um, that's because I just have to know. You know, you you were deployed five different areas. Mm -hmm. uh, did you ever notice anything was off 
mentally or did you make make it out okay with no issues? You know, I I thought I was fine. Um, I thought that I was retiring. I was perfectly good. Uh, it, it, it was what it was. And then I went to work at my civilian job and realized, nope, <laughs> everything isn't fine. Because in the beginning, it was great. I was having a great time. Um, I was actually losing weight. I was like, hey, I guess because I'm not stressed, I can lose weight finally without even having to try. Everything's great. And then it was like this brick wall out of nowhere hit me. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I just felt lost. I went into meetings and you sit in the back of the room and you're told to be quiet. Um, your opinion doesn't matter. And you're like, put everything you're saying. I could solve in five seconds because <laughs> it makes sense to you. Um, that and you just don't have, you know, everyone goes home at five and nobody talk comes in on Monday and talks about their weekend. And you just don't have anyone to talk to you. My husband's prior army. So I could come home and talk to him. And then it was, so I, I retired, I went on terminal leave in January. I left on a Thursday and I started my work week on that Monday at my civilian job. So I was right away. I was like, yep, I'm going, I'm fine. I'm good. And then spring break hit in March. And I guess that's when it hit me because uh, my father-in-law, my husband and a family friend was making an enclosed, oops, sorry. I just hit my computer desk. They were making an enclosed back porch for me because the mosquitoes in South Texas will suck your blood dry like vampires. So yeah. I needed an enclosed back porch and I laid down and I was like, Oh, I'm just going to take a nap. And I think the rest of the week I laid there while they were working outside. And I just felt like this is life. Like really? Like they didn't want me to help them working outside because it was what guys did. And then I didn't have anyone from work that was on spring break. And I just, you know, the kids were hanging out with their friends and I just felt like I was lost and I just laid there and I was like, if this is life, what is the purpose? Like, I didn't want to die, but I didn't want to be, be there. Like, I didn't want to be here. I was like, this is just, this is sucks. Now, you know, now I've had now over 360 interviews. And a lot of the people that I've talked to, you know, what we're we're supposed to be hardcore and hua hua, you know, but we get used to getting paid on the first and the fifteenth. We mm -hmm. get used to getting Tricare. We get, we're kind of coddled. We get coddled in a way. After after being in long enough, you start to feel a little bit coddled. Mm -hmm. And then, like Sergeant uh, Nick talks about, you know, when your foot steps off base, the military does not give a shit about you. The phone stops ringing. So you not only did you lose your mission, you lost your camaraderie, and now you don't have a job. And it kind of boils into the perfect storm. And nobody really tells you how to get out of the perfect storm unless you've been in it. So what was your transitioning story like? Well, you know, I it's crazy because I... I worked there for two and a half years and I think that I was just fighting the rage inside of me. I was fighting this rage and I finally went and talked to someone at the VA, uh, went and I talked to them and, you know, I had before I, um, 
when I went through my uh, exams to get out of the military, I went and I talked to a psychologist and told them of some things that had happened while I was in the military as well, uh, because of the kids' biological father. There was a lot of abuse there that I had never told anyone about because you're in the military and you got to just keep going. So I was a single parent for 11 years and I just had to keep going and the stalking and all the stuff that had happened and the threats on my life and all the other stuff. And I was like, I got to keep going. I, and I worked in a predominantly male field. So I was like, and finally it would all come in and crash in and, and then trying to transition and trying to finally deal with the fact that I finally admitted that I had been, you know, in a domestic abuse situation now I'm trying to deal with this transition. So I finally went and talked to somebody, but that didn't stop this rage inside of me and this, how do I find my purpose? So I had to walk away from that job because I found myself every day going in and wanting to just literally just everybody, you know, the knife hand type of thing in the air force. We don't even do knife hands, but for some reason I got this knife hand going on. Look, that's not how you do it. You need to do it like this. Like it's simple. But they were like, whoa, slow down. It's okay. And I was like, I told my husband, I said, I got to walk away from this. I, so, I need some time. Now, this is what, around 2019? That was uh, summer of 2018. So okay. I took a month, <laughs> a month, and I, I didn't have any plans at the time. I, I was just going to figure things out because um, I just, and then a month later, I, I moved up to San Antonio and took a job at a university up there. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was doing okay up there because I was sitting in that little apartment and I was finding myself. I've got this, and it's funny, it's right here, this, this journal here. And the pages are filled with just things that I was writing and finding and talking. And then the pandemic hit, you know, and I found a lot of myself in that little apartment. And then when the pandemic hit, a lot more things came clear and I came back home. I gave my apartment up and I told the university, my, I need to be with my family. This is where I need to be. And I found my purpose. I found where, where I need to be, which is lifting people up and writing so much in that apartment brought me so much peace and so much clarity and, you know, writing my story on paper and listening to other people's stories and helping them write their stories and realizing that I'm not alone in what I went through and how I felt helped me through that transitional period. You know, for me, um, I, I find journaling, it's a, a lot of self-accountability. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, I like looking back for, for years ago and I can look through some of my, my little marble notebooks and see where I was at that point. Yeah. You know? And so now I look at them and I'm like, okay, I was struggling financially. I was, you know, but now as I'm journaling now, now I have a little bit of my sight back, you know, now it's like I'm reading, getting back to, re I got like 10 books that I'm reading right now and I'm journaling every day. And, and one thing, you know, I think we as business owners, we're talking about business in a, in a minute is we don't, you know, we, we got calendars for Instagram. We got calendars for social media. We got calendars to, to do our podcasts, but we don't put calendars for our kids or our family. Yep. 
And I think that's so important. If you guys are watching, you know, I'm working on building a better relationship with my daughter. So I'm actually in my calendar. I'm blocking off time. It says Linda. So that's her time yeah. for her. Day. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, getting back to being, being you, finally being you, and then journaling and then starting your writing. Yeah, one of the things that I know how I was, I was go, go, go all the time, and I wasn't making that time. And when the pandemic happened, I was forced to make that time, like you said, for family. And I realized that I'm not a person who wants to be 24 seven, go, go, go. I'm not an aggressive person. Um, but for some reason I had to turn into this aggressive go, go, go person in order to survive and thrive in the world that I was in, in order to escape the first world that I was in, which was my home life. I was, you know, I, I was telling my husband the other day, you know, I, my first life was the one I was born into. The second life was the one that I had to escape into, which was my military life. And I am forever thankful for that. And now I'm in the life that I was chosen for me, which I was meant to be in. And I feel at peace with that because I wake up every day and I'm calm and I'm at peace and I don't feel that I have to prove to everybody who I am. I have to show everyone my credentials. Well, look at me. I am so, I don't feel that I have to do that. Whereas all the other ones, I always had to feel that I had to show up. I had to, you know, I had to just be on point 24 seven. Whereas now I just feel that I'm there you know, and, and it's a wonderful feeling. And I have time for my family. I sit, you know, I'm working from home. So I have lunch with my husband. I have dinner with my husband. My kids are away at college, but when they come home, my calendar says booked for all of those holidays because I'm with them. And I don't have appointments during that time specifically because we only get one shot at this thing called life. I call it life sentence. Annette Wittenberger calls it a wild ride called life. And I think that those are two fantastic ways to look at it. And if we're lucky, we get a hundred years. And I want to take every moment that I get and, and make time for everything that I want to do. And my children, I want them to have good memories of me because I've had heart to hearts with them about our life. Because for 11 years, it was just me and those kids, us against the world, and me running through LAX airport, try to get an international flight while they're asleep at three o'clock in the morning on luggage in a, on a luggage cart on top of luggage. And I'm holding two toddlers running through the airport trying to catch that flight. I mean, that was our life. And when I deployed, they were staying with grandparents because I married my husband the last five years of our military career. So we had a heart to heart and they said, mom, you were so busy with so many things. We just knew to basically stay out of the way and be there for you when you needed us. And that shocked me. I thought, wow. So the they raised me. Children can be resilient in a lot of ways. Yeah. But I think eventually, like for me, my daughter's nine. It's kind of like, all right, you know, I need to build a relationship with her now. 
before she starts getting older and looking for other people to fill my void. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So now mm -hmm. talk to us about um, writing and what got you to write your first book. And what was that like? What was that experience like? So back in middle school, I had a teacher give us an assignment. And I know a lot of people have the same type of story. But in middle school, there was an assignment to write a short story. So I wrote a scary one. You know, I liked spooky stories back then. And, you know, no one ever believed in me. I played basketball and softball, but no one ever showed up to anything. So I always quit everything. I was a quitter most of my life. Um, but when my teacher said, hey, this is good. You should you should really write more. I was like, Oh, I should do that. So my whole life I was, I wanted to write, but I wrote little poems here and there or had little stories in my brain. And I would always go down on a rabbit hole in my daydreams, but I could never do it. And I had told my husband, I said, I'm going to write a story one day. And he always said, you should do it. You should do it. But I never thought about it. And when I was working at the small community college here, um, uh, one of the gentlemen in marketing told me about podcasts. I didn't even know about podcasts. I was 39 years old. I didn't even know about podcasts. So I started looking up different podcasts and I found um, Author Like a Boss by Ella Barnard. And I started listening to it. And on that podcast, she had a bunch of different indie authors, which is, you know, authors that publish their own books. And basically told me that I could publish my own book. I'm like, what? You don't have to go through the whole manuscript and years and years of no, you could just publish your own book, write it, publish it, design it. And I was like, oh, I could be an author. Oh my God, I could be an author. You mean I can finally live my dream. And then, but then I was still scared. And then Russell Nolte, which every time anyone asks me how I became an author, I mentioned Russell Nolte. <laughs> he probably thinks I'm a stalker, but I'm not. But, um, but he is one of those one of those authors that is just very, very honest, very, very honest. And he said in the podcast, he goes, he was being interviewed and he there was a statement. He says, look, my whole theory is you're going to suck until you don't. So just do it. And it was something I was pulling into my driveway at the moment when that happened. And it just hit me. I was like, what the hell am I waiting for? I walked in, I told my husband, I said, I'm going to write that damn book. I'm just going to do it. So I wrote the book that, I, you know, we had talked about, it, which is my signature series, Roscoe and Charlie Travels. And it's a children's series about two dogs, our dogs, that travel around the world, which is our travels. The R and the C for Roscoe and Charlie is Rudy and Chrissy, me and my husband. Um, so it's just like a, a different type of military story. It's a children's book. And it's about the adventures that the dogs go on. And I, I drew every picture. I designed the cover. I wrote it. I formatted it. I did everything on my own. And I published it. And at the I published it on my 40th birthday. And I will tell you that if you ever see the original, I have it over there, but I didn't think about to bring it over here. Um, it is the most horrible book you will ever read. But I love it more than anything any of my other books, because it was my first. I mean, the grammar is horrible. The drawings look like a five-year-old, not a 40-year-old woman. Um, it's formatted terribly, but it was my first. And it, and it told me that if you want it, you can do it. You just got to go for it. So, yeah, I went for it. And I then it stopped. Because, you know, just thinking about <laughs> talking about the editing and the format, you know, like my book, it just, um, it hit number one again today. 
for the second time. Congratulations. That's awesome. In substance abuse. And uh, yeah, I read it last week and I'm like, man, it sounds like a retard wrote it. Cause no. I actually wrote it and you know, I kept a lot of the grammar because I wanted, you know, sometimes you get a book and you know, it doesn't sound like that person that wrote that book. Like my, I had Steve Sims on Mr. Steve Sims wow. and he wrote a book and, but it was ghostwritten and his wife read it and she's like, you can't put this out. It's shit. <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? He's like, it doesn't sound like you. It doesn't sound like you're talking to the people. So he had to, he had to scrap it all. And then he, he wrote it himself. But I think it's, you know, I look at the book and I'm like, you know, that's my first book, but it is my first love. And I, you know, it's amazing. The feeling of writing a book was very scary for me, but it was very cathartic at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, you know, now we're going to be working on the, the resiliency book coming up in January. That's mm -hmm. going to be fun. But now for myself, I have that um, imposter syndrome. Be like, wait a minute. Who are you to write a second book? You know what I mean? You're the comeback coach. You're coming yeah. back with the numbers with the second book. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us. How many books have you written and how do you help other people? Yeah. So I just, uh, in November 1st, uh, just published number 21. And I help other people in a number of ways. I consult with them to keep them on track or I do some ghost writing, which is helping them because so entrepreneurs are extremely busy. I don't write their book for them like, hey, here's an idea. Go write it. I sit down and I get their words, their work, because a lot of them have it all. They just don't know how to organize it, put it together, or they don't have the time to type it all up. But they have an hour to sit and talk to me on three to four different occasions. So I sit and I'll interview them just on a recording, and then I'll type everything that we talked about into a book format for them because it's their words. It's what they say. You know, like you don't want a book to not sound like it. You're exactly right. You don't want a book to sound like another individual. Um, and then I do a formatting for people because KDP, if you're doing it on Amazon, a lot of people have trouble formatting on KDP. So I help format, um, help them find good cover designers, which we have within our, our tribe there. So I help them find people that are valuable to what they're going to do versus some of the services that are out there that just aren't great. We also have an in-house editor and I work with other editors in the field. There's so much noise in the author space. All these people that are going to take your money and just either screw you over or do horrible jobs. Um, what I, what we do is we just find them good services. And I even walk people through how to use KDP how to use the keywords on there so their books will get seen and the entire process. Cause you know, if you don't get at least 50 reviews, then your book just gets hidden with the other millions of books that are written on there. You have to get at least 50 reviews to even be put into Amazon newsletters and all the other stuff. And the importance on, if you're an author, you need to also basically be an entrepreneur or your book is just going to sit there and no one's ever going to see it. So the entrepreneur side of authoring as well. Now, for me, you know, like I wrote my book, it came out in January of 2019 mm -hmm. and I forgot about it. I forgot I even had it. And people are like, didn't you write a book? And I'm like, 
Oh yeah. You know, cause I don't, I never really thought about it until somebody said, you know, Rich, you know, the word author is short for authority. So you literally wrote the book on addiction and substance abuse. And I was like, all, all right. And then when I was on your show and you're like, we got to do another, we got to do another book. I was never even thinking about doing another book because I, I think I had nothing else to say, but now mm -hmm. all of a sudden because of you and the author's porch, which is amazing group guys, definitely check the group out. If you're an author, you need to be in there. You need to be there, need to be there, need to be there. And uh, a friend of ours, mutual friend I just interviewed, Mr. Brian King, mm -hmm. uh, had him on the show. We we're talking about authors. And now all of a sudden I'm getting excited again because, you know, a lot of people think when you write a book, you're going to become rich and you're going to become a millionaire and well-known. And a lot of people put their books out and then all of a sudden they hear crickets because they don't realize it's time to work yep. when you put it out there. So when a person puts a book out on Amazon or, or wherever, how do you, how do they promote it? How do they go about getting their book known out there? Well, there's so many different ways. Some people have ARCs, which is advanced reader copies. So you find a group of people in your circle that would read your book ahead of time. So when it goes live, then they can submit their reviews. There's there's different websites that you could do that through that makes it safer than just sending it to random people and expecting them to review. Uh, it also will send them reminders. You have um, family and friends that are willing to share your stuff, you have to have a tribe behind you, basically. You also need to have a good newsletter. So your newsletter, a lot of people are like, those things are for the past. No, when Facebook and um, Instagram went down, you, you had Twitter, yeah, but how many people, I, I have over a thousand people that follow me on Twitter, but if I post something, no one ever responds or likes it, <laughs> you know, but then your newsletter, I'm getting over 400 people that are opening the very newsletter that I sent. So I just had 400 people see what I wanted to send them. So your newsletter is really huge. You definitely want a newsletter. You really have to go out there and you have to talk to people, your local libraries. Can you get a book signing at a local place? There's so many different avenues to get that street team, but you really need to be involved. It needs to become a, a important part of your business. If you already have a business, it's really good if you're writing and it's part of like, it goes with your business. Does that make sense? Like if you're like, if I'm doing the author's porch, but I have like, I have a young adult book and, and say I'm doing, um, maybe my job is substance abuse counseling, but then I have a fantasy book. It doesn't go with my business, but I can do it. I could promote it some, on another thing. And also groups uh, get in different groups. You have to find your target audience as well. You just, you just got to hustle. Plain and well, simple. You got to hustle. I, you know, we're just talking about newsletters. Um, LinkedIn started a new feature for cool. newsletters and cool. everybody's starting uh, newsletters on LinkedIn. But I see so many people that are in business and they're not on LinkedIn or they're not active. And I'm I tell them, you're leaving so much money on the table, yep. you know, because the average Facebook user makes 36000 a year. The mm -hmm. average LinkedIn user makes 80000 a year. 
-hmm. So you're leaving, you know, a lot of money on the table, plus a lot of contacts. You know, for me, it's all about connection. It's all about, you know, if somebody, I got, uh, Jocko just got a, his new book just came out. Mm. I messaged him today. I'm like, Jocko, why don't you come on the show? You know, let me help, help promote your book. You know, but a lot of people are sleeping on LinkedIn. So yep. can you talk about that a little bit? So I know for us, we just recently with the Authors Porch um, got on LinkedIn, but I've been on LinkedIn for quite a while. I, I'm not huge on LinkedIn yet, but I know the value of it because LinkedIn is a professional networking site professional, not personal, professional. And that's truly what people don't understand. I know that each entrepreneur, each author, each whatever you're doing in your life, you have to pick a niche. You have to pick what you're best at. And each of the social media platforms, and LinkedIn is a social media, um, it's a professional social media, but it's still a professional uh, social media. They have different ways they consume yeah. what you're going to be posting. Obviously, Instagram loves their pictures. <laughs> you know, Twitter loves their blog posts. So I do, I, every time I do a blog post, I post it on Twitter. Uh, I do all my pictures on Instagram. I do all my personal stuff on Facebook and I go over LinkedIn and I share my blog posts on there, or any other professional updates. So you have to understand your platform and you also have to understand what's going to be the best place to post. But a lot of people think it's really too much to be on every single platform. I don't. I personally and professionally am on every single platform. I don't see an issue with it. And some folks say that you're you're limiting yourself by being on every single platform. But for me, I'm not because I have a spreadsheet on each day where I'm posting and what I'm posting. So I, I go off of my spreadsheet and I think it's important that you find where your audience is based off of what you're doing. I love it. You know, cause like I'm, I'm, I'm I try to be, I found I'm, I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk guy. Mm. And as soon as he said, you need to get up on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, I'm attacking LinkedIn. Like I'm attacking, you know, I think I got like 24,000 connections or something stupid. That's awesome. But you know, there's certain, I, I'm not good on Instagram and I'm okay with that. But I think you still have to have a presence, even yeah. if you're not great at it. And, you know, just like you said, you know, in, in his book, I'm reading again for the sixth time, Jab, 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 Right Hook. You know, every social media platform has its own thing. So mm -hmm. like you said, you know, Instagram, high quality resolution pictures, you mm -hmm. know, LinkedIn business, uh, Twitter. They like their, you know, like you said, blog posts. TikTok, yeah. they like dancing and movement, <laughs> but, you know, so everything, but a lot of people like for, and I made the same mistake a couple months ago, I would just do a Facebook post and I would copy and paste it everywhere and got no results, zero, nothing. I was yeah. like, but then like, I was like, I, and I, cause once I started getting serious again, once I got my eyesight, eyesight back, I said, let me start doing some, you know, cause sometimes they say, you're not supposed to put a link in the comments. And then some of them say you are supposed to put a link in the comments. So I kept trying to see which way works. And I, I found out on LinkedIn that if you put something and the links aren't in the comments, you get so much more reach and they push it out so much mm -hmm. further. But I haven't really seen much difference in Facebook and Instagram. 
Oh my gosh. I, I will never pretend to know the know anything about those algorithms. I I'm on the, I will be the first to admit I am clueless about those algorithms, but I will listen my ears off at those who do know it because it, it goes right over my head. Um, but I know that for me, um, depending on who I need to network with, like for LinkedIn, publishers, for me, publishers and um, book agents and those folks, that's who I'm over on LinkedIn networking with. Authors, authors are on Instagram and Facebook 100%. And on Twitter, there's a huge Twitter uh, shameless self-promotion. I saw my book sales go up just on Twitter because when I would go in there and I would just, they would do shameless self-promotion and let you post just your book links because they want people to share their book links. And I'd go on there for like, just share the book links because they're asking for it. And you just follow those type of posts. And I saw one day my uh, book sales go up just a tad bit. Um, so it's like, if you learn certain platforms on what navigating those things like the professional side LinkedIn you know I'm I'm trying to network with the agents and things like that not because I'm trying to get a traditional publishing deal because I love having the freedom of doing whatever I want whenever I want um a little control freak like that <laughs> but in order but to network with them to learn more about that side to teach other authors some things for the show, you know, so they can learn more and understand more. Cause it's all about, you know, just learning and letting other authors understand because there's so much they don't understand about the traditional publishing world. It's like this big secret, but it's not that the agents and the publishers want it to be a secret. It's that most people don't ask them. So then how do we find you? How can we find your podcast? How can we find your groups? How can we support your mission? Yeah, we're at theauthorsporch.com. Um, that is our website. Theauthorsporch at gmail.com is our um, email address. Our magazine is The Author's Porch over on Amazon. So we're The Author's Porch everywhere you go. Uh, and you can support our mission if you want. So we're right now we're accepting article submissions for until the 1st of December for our January issue. Every quarter we submit, not submit, sorry. Every quarter we have a magazine. And if you are a writer or somebody that has something that you want to submit and you want to be in a magazine, we allow free submissions for our magazine. Um, if you want to advertise, that costs money. But to submit an article or poetry and any of the other stuff, go to theauthorsporch.com and you can submit an article for the magazine. We want you to be heard. We want your work to be shown. And that's what we do. 90% of what we do is free. And the reason is, is because when I was writing my first little books, because um, they were little, they're actually small. <laughs> um, when I was writing them, it was such a lonely world and I couldn't find a way to get my voice out there. So when I created the author's porch, it was to start a community and I want to keep that community 90% free. The 10% is to make sure that we can still pay the bills to keep the community 90% free. So submit an article, um, until the 1st of December, and then we'll have another one, um, in the next quarter. Well, I guess you said I'm going to be in January's issue. So I'm, I'm you are. I'm pumped yes. and excited about that. 
We've got some fantastic, fantastic uh, featured authors for the January issue. We have an amazing cover for the January issue and some book reviews as well. I'm currently reading um, a, a veteran book. I read one veteran book for each issue last Last issue was Annette Wittenberger's A Wild Ride Called Life. Yep. This book is Tip of the Spear by Ryan uh, Hendrickson, which... Had him on the show. Really man, I've been listening to the audio book because I was driving to and from Houston this weekend. So I said, let me listen to it on audio. Oh, I feel like I'm right there in the place, like watching it happen. <laughs> and guys, if you're watching this on a replay, for the next three days, my book is free on amazon kindle so make sure you pick up a copy give a copy share a copy it may save somebody's life so last question i have um you know we live in a crazy world we still live in a COVID world um got a lot of parents driving uber doordash just to put food in the kids mouths so if i ask the average american to do something in seven days they're pretty much never going to get to it but if i ask somebody that's listening now or on the replay to uh, make a a choice in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if somebody's out there is on the fence, hemming, hawing, maybe I should write the book, maybe I shouldn't write the book. What can they do in the next 24 hours to start to put some foot to ass and start to get some work done? Think about the person that is sitting there going through what you have been through and how your words could save their life. Basically, because I know I've read Richard's book and I know that his mission and what he does has saved lives. And if his book wasn't out there and I talk about his book because I've read it um, and I know how powerful it is. Had he not wrote that book, imagine how many people may not be here right now. There's so many books out there, but that doesn't mean that your story isn't original. So think about somebody's life that you could be saving. I think that's really important. Your voice needs to be heard. Your story is powerful. I love it. So guys, if you're listening, Mark Dudex, I love you, brother. Um, <laughs> so guys, just make sure you check out the Author's Porch. Amazing podcast amazing group um i'm truly humbled and grateful to be part of that group i want to thank tammy moses i want to thank kurt balish without you i wouldn't be the guy that i am because you it's all because of you and and, and dudek and daniel curry and those my amigos guys if you like what you're hearing please leave us a, a comment a review um, we do everything for free we don't get paid for this so like gary says if you want to pay us just leave a review and I thank you. And CJ, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that you get and hang out with us. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing to help um, get people get their stories out there. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. And it's a blessing to know you and to know everything that you're doing for so many people. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Remember, vertical momentum. The only way to go is but. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. 
We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee. And, and it will it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out. Leave us a note. Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So, if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.